speaking at a pro-abortion rally yesterday, Vice President Kamala Harris accidentally destroyed the left's entire argument for abortion. America is a promise. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Did you catch the right that she missed there? Kamala Harris uh, seems to have caught the right that she missed, which is why I think she stumbled. She said, you know, listen, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, excuse me, what did you just say, Kamala? Oh, I said, uh, I said uh, liberty. Now, before that, oh, and no, I said um, uh, the, the pursuit of happiness. No, it was a little bit before that one. I said, like, hmm? Yeah, uh, uh, our, our creator endowed us with a uh, right to <coughs> liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm, I heard something on the cough. What was, the, I think it was, right, it was the right to life. Because you can't pursue happiness without liberty, and you can't have liberty without life. In fact, you can't have or do anything at all without life, which is why life is not merely one right among many, but the fundamental right upon which all the others rest. A fact so obvious, a truth so clear that even Kamala Harris had to stumble upon it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jeremy Bertram, who says, my tinfoil hat protected me from myocarditis. It did. It did. It was actually a, a, a far better medical precaution, I think, a far more effective one than those vaccines that everybody took. Really good stuff. I, man, those doctors should start prescribing tinfoil hats. Amazing how much they can protect your health. Now, when, when you want to protect your wealth, you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The current administration's New Year's goals are to tax, spend, and turn a blind eye to inflation. If this is at odds with your goals and you are tired of the government playing games with your savings and your retirement plan, then you need to get in touch with the experts at Birch Gold today. For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. Now you can own gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-A-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. Then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to help protect your savings. Right now, text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Protect yourself with gold today. That is Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 989898 today. Speaking of rights, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has just launched a, a heinous, incomprehensible attack on children's right to learn about weird queer theory sex stuff in a, in a black studies course, an 
ideologically left-wing activist course in high school. Can you imagine? This course on black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on, that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts and how to think but we don't believe they should have an agenda imposed on them. When you try to use black history to shoehorn in queer theory, uh, you are clearly trying to use that uh, for political purposes. Ron DeSantis is doing exactly the right thing here. This is great that he is banning this black studies course. Frankly, even if it weren't teaching queer theory as part of it, he still should have banned the course because black studies, African-American studies, it's not just a regular old history course. It's not a regular old cultural history or military history or any serious study of history. It, it is a, a derivation of critical theory and it is essentially just leftist radical political activism. That's true of pretty much all of the studies departments. All of the gay studies, women's studies, uh, black studies, all of the studies departments that cropped up in the second half of the 20th century, they're just radical leftism, okay? And they're academically not rigorous at all, and they poison people's minds and turn their brains to soup. So it's good that this is being kicked out of the high schools. However, the argument that Ron DeSantis is making here is not totally right. It might be politically effective, so I don't begrudge him that, but it's not totally right. Now, one thing that's great, Ron DeSantis used to say, we don't want to teach students what to think, only how to think. And you'll notice in that speech there, because I, I have tried to correct that point a little bit before, and I think some other conservatives may have too, and you notice he changed it a little bit. He said, we want to teach students facts and how to think. That's an important correction. Because if, that's not the same as saying we, we want to teach them how to think, not what to think. When you say we want to teach students facts, you're saying we do want to teach students what to think. And by teaching students what to think about certain facts, about certain things, then we are thereby teaching the students how to think. But the, the point that DeSantis made is all of this is what education is about. Education is not about pushing a political agenda. And in fact, DeSantis, when he posted that clip, he, he tweeted that as well. He said, this isn't, we do not think that education should be about pushing a political agenda. That might be an effective piece of political rhetoric, but it isn't true. And we should, we should all at least be aware that education is in fact about pushing a political agenda. That is the point of public education. Public and political mean the exact same thing. Political is another word for public. It's the stuff that we all do together, not in our little private lives, not in the recesses of our own mind, but together. So when, when DeSantis says education is about pursuing truth, not about a political agenda, he's half right. It is about pursuing truth, but it is also about applying those truths to the political situation. Education is about creating citizens. Education is about inculcating a civic spirit in people. Education is about creating the next generation of Americans who are going to build up our country and live together. 
Education is how we are raised, and the question of how we are raised and how we behave and what we believe and how we view our fellow countrymen and how we view our country, that is a deeply political question. So the, it is perfectly right and just to ban black studies or whatever other critical theory-derived courses that have somehow seeped their way like a gaseous poison into high school classrooms. It is perfectly good to ban them for political reasons. They teach things that are not true, and also they have poisonous political effects. And the only reason that the libs want to put those courses into the high school classrooms is because they know that education is political. The libs are, are right about so many things, at least in the abstract. They get a lot of things right in the abstract. They get, they get pretty much all those things wrong in practice, when you get into the specifics and into the substance. But in terms of the abstract and the procedure and the form, they, they tend to get these things right. They recognize that there's no such thing as total free speech. They recognize that all sta- cultures have standards and norms. Conservatives pretended that that wasn't the case for the last 50 years. That's how we lost our American notion of free speech. The, the libs know that education is political. The conservatives pretended it's not political. That's how conservatives lost the entire educational apparatus in America. The the, the libs, they're very crafty. They're very clever. They have terrible prescriptions for America and for other countries as well. But, but they are clever about how politics works. And so I think DeSantis is doing a great job. I don't even begrudge him his slightly imprecise political rhetoric here. But at the very least, we conservatives, we people who are applauding DeSantis in this phenomenal action, we should not be deceived. He's not trying to deceive us, but we should not deceive ourselves. Education is political. It is good that it is political. We should pursue political ends that are conducive to, to truth and justice. Not that they're antithetical to those things. They, are, they go perfectly along with truth and justice, but we should pursue those things in the classroom. Because if we don't do it, somebody else will. And if it's the libs who are pursuing their political agenda in the classroom, I promise you it is not going to, to go along with truth and justice, and certainly not with the American way. The libs are furious about what DeSantis is doing. KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, says the move is incomprehensible. These types of actions aren't new. They're not new from from what we're seeing, especially from Florida, sadly. Florida currently bans teachers uh, from from talking about who they are and who they love, as we've talked about many times here in this briefing room. They have banned more books in schools and libraries than almost every other state uh, in the country. And let's not forget, they didn't ban, uh, they didn't block, be more clear, I want to make sure I'm using the right word here, they didn't block AP European history, they didn't block our, our music history, they didn't block our uh, art history, uh, the, but the state chooses to, to block a course that is meant for high achieving high school students to learn about their history of arts and culture. And uh, it is, um, you know, it is uh, incomprehensible again. Uh, and I will just uh, leave it there. Leave it there to make your own, uh, to make your own determination of why this occurred and why this happened. Again, it is not our place uh, to, to direct or to, to uh, be involved in any local school curriculum. Uh, but this is concerning. Oh, it's not your place. Okay, then quiet. <laughs> How about we just close that old yap up there <laughs> at the White House press reading room? And listen, it's after that 10-minute monologue I just launched into, I just want to make clear it's not my place to, to weigh in on this. But I'm going to continue to weigh in on it as well. Incomprehensible. The only thing that's incomprehensible is the course. 
And, and the way that the libs are portraying this, that this is about teaching the history of black people, it's not. That's just a complete lie. The course includes books such as Kimberly Crenshaw's Mapping the Margins, Intersectionality, Identity Politics, and Violence Against Women of Color. That's not, hey, what did Frederick Douglass do? That is pushing a radical Marxist, neo-Marxist, uh, cultural Marxist, whatever term you want to use to describe the 20th century uh, tr- tradition of Western Marxism. That's what it's pushing, Okay intersectionality. The Case for Reparations by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Ta-Nehisi Coates is a a leftist pop writer. He's not a a historian. He is not a scholar. He is not someone who deserves even one second's time in, in a high school classroom. He is a radical and glib magazine essayist. There's a section on black queer studies, as Ron DeSantis said. That is what is incomprehensible. And that is what is going to muddle up students' minds. There's this idea in our society that we need to have a totally open classroom. Don't ban anything. Just be open to all ideas. Well, that's crazy. You You have to ban certain ideas. You have to leave them out of the curriculum. There are only so many weeks in a semester. Every second that you waste reading Ta-Nehisi Coates and Kimberly Crenshaw is a, is a second that you're not reading a real historian, that you're not reading, I don't know, Shakespeare, that you're not you're not reading Tolstoy. You're not reading writers who are valuable, who will edify you and who will, who will make you more educated. Every, every second that you waste in a math classroom being taught that two plus two equals five is a second that you're not being taught the truth, which is that two plus two equals four. We have to ban two plus two equals five out of the classroom. And we need to limit our curricula to things that will actually educate students. And I promise you, Kimberly Crenshaw will not. Speaking of banning things in the classroom. Stephen King, the pop novelist, he uh, just uh, tweeted out, he said, hey kids, it's your old buddy Steve King here telling you that if they ban a book in your school, haul your ASS to the nearest bookstore or library ASAP and find out what they don't want you to read. But they, who are they? I don't know. Is they Ron DeSantis? Who's they? He sounds like Kanye over here. Who are, who's they though? <laughs> who's they? Well, it depends who they is, I guess. Because I know this is a very popular opinion. Is the opinion, don't ban any books. If there's a banned book, we need to go read it immediately. Well, it depends what the book is, and it depends who does the banning. If the banning is being done by bad people who, who are not going to help you become educated, then I guess you should go read the book. If the book is being banned by just and wise and prudent authorities, then maybe don't read the book. Depends what the book is. If the book is Hamlet, then you should go read the book. If the book is gay porn, as is turning up in lots of schools, then don't read the book. If it's pornography of any kind, don't read the book. You will not be edified by that. You will not be educated by that. What what is Stephen King suggesting? All books? Gender Queer by Maya Kababi. We should read that. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Mein Kampf should my, listen, they don't want to teach you Mein Kampf in schools. You better go out there. You're in sixth grade. You better go read Mein Kampf. Is that what he's saying? No, I don't think, I mean, even if you're going to read Mein Kampf as a sort of historical uh, study, maybe wait until you're, I don't know, like 16, 17. I don't think, does anyone really think that's appropriate for a child? I don't, I don't think so. I think there are plenty of books that are not appropriate for a child. I think, uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. I don't know. Do we really, that's something we have to read? No, of course not. 
of course. It's, it's a very shallow and glib and liberal and modern idea that you should never ban or suppress any book. It is, it is an idea that is completely out of keeping with the entire Western tradition. Catholics, Protestants, ancients, even many secularists, everyone agrees that certain books should not be taught. You see book burning in the Old Testament. Plato argued for the burning of a, a rival's books. Martin Luther, I often point out on the show, being Catholic, Martin Luther's not like my number one guy, you know. Martin Luther argued to burn certain books. But plenty of Catholic writers have argued, to, the Vatican has a list of banned books. We naturally ban certain books. The liberals ban books, they ban the Bible in classrooms. Conservatives used to ban books like uh, gay porn in the classrooms. Everybody recognizes you need, to, in order to be educated, you need certain limits. That's the whole point of education is to tamp down your appetites and to cultivate your rational will and virtue. Speaking of schools, well, actually, you know what? Before we get to schools, there's this, this will tie in in a second. I'd like to get to an important cultural matter. Speaking of limits and standards, M&M's. M&M's has just made a major announcement. It has retired its spokes candies and hired a new spokes lady. M&M's tweets at America, let's talk. In the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would even notice, and we definitely didn't think it would break the internet, but now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing, which was the last thing M&M's wanted since we're all about bringing people together. Therefore, we've decided to take an indefinite pause from the spokes candies. In their place, we are proud to introduce a spokesperson America can agree on, the beloved Maya Rudolph. We're confident Ms. Rudolph will champion the power of fun to create a world where everyone feels they belong. I like Maya Rudolph, very funny lady. I think she was friends with Norm Macdonald. That's really all you need for me to have respect for you. I want to be perfectly clear. M&M's marketing problems will not go away until they bring back the sexy green M&M. Until that green M&M is sexy again, it's not going to go away. I'm not saying this to be provocative. I'm not saying this as a threat. I am simply observing that fact. You may recall last year, M&M's decided to take all the fun little differentiating factors about all the little M&M's characters and do what our culture is doing to everybody and try to make them all kind of uniform and androgynous. And so they turned the green M&M, who had previously been a sexy little trollop of an M&M, and turned her into a kind of uh, tomboyish, androgynous, gender-neutral candy. And there was a lot of backlash to this. And the libs made fun of us. I think Tucker had a real field day with the whole green M&M sexy thing. But the, the libs made fun of us. They said, well, you weirdos, why do you care about a sexy M&M? Because it's a symbol. No, I don't think that there are very many people out there who are lusting over the M&M. But it is perfectly rational to be concerned that M&M's is making the M&M less sexy. Because the M&M is a symbol. It's a symbol of the way that we are viewing women in our culture. And that's what people have problems with. We have problems that we're chopping off the breasts of teenage girls. And we're forcing men, forcing women rather, to change with men in their locker rooms. 
And we're now posting billboards, not of beautiful models to be surrounded by images of beauty, even if they're somewhat idealized through Photoshop and lighting and special effects. But now we're intentionally posting grotesque pictures and grotesqueries all over our culture, not even just in terms of models, but in terms of all aesthetics. That's what people are concerned about. We're concerned that we now have a culture that is forcing us to live according to lies and forcing us to call good evil and truth falsehood and beauty ugliness. That's what we're concerned about. And M&Ms is doing nothing to solve that problem. They're saying, whoa, 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 we didn't expect a backlash because we we took the stilettos off the candy. Whoa, okay, well, to correct that, we're just going to get rid of it entirely. No, we don't want that either. That's It's such an annoying fact about our culture. It's such a, an annoying response these days, which is you have a traditional thing, and then you have the liberal agitation to get rid of the traditional thing, and then the culture caves to the liberal agitation. Then you have backlash from the conservatives, and then they just get rid of the thing altogether. I remember this. I was in college. I was, I was on freshman student government in college. And in college, uh, we were going to have a freshman dance. And so we decided it was going to be gone with the wind theme because our class president that year was a Southern guy. And it'd be nice. You wear fun costumes and whatever. And then, as always, it's like liberal white kids saying, this is very offensive to black people. Not to me. And no black people are complaining. But it's offensive. I'm offended on behalf of the black people. And... So what happened was the, the school didn't, the student government, we didn't stick to our guns. We didn't come up with some new interesting idea. We just got rid of the theme. I think the theme ended up being the color blue or something. And that's what our culture does. It always just goes down to the absolute lowest common denominator so that we get rid of all these fun, little, ornate things that, that define our very culture. We say, okay, we're going to get rid of that. We'll just have a regular spokesman like all the other companies. Okay, that's fine. No, it's not fine. Come on, guys. I want things that are ornate. I want things that are specific and eccentric and traditional. I want the sexy green M&M. That's what I want. Speaking of schools and women who are known for being sexy, Kim Kardashian just spoke at Harvard Business School. And this has caused a major stir. Someone suggested they said, Kim Kardashian speaking at Harvard Business School? Well, there goes all of Harvard's prestige. And I thought, well, Harvard's prestige? The, the most impressive Harvard students are the ones who drop out. Harvard's prestige. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. The list goes on and on. They're the ones that, that drop out. Harvard's prestige. Harvard's prestige. One of the most famous Harvard students I think a graduate to Harvard. I believe that he actually graduated. One of, one of the most impressive Harvard students in recent years is the Unabomber. Harvard's prestige. Harvard's lucky to have Kim Kardashian. Harvard actually is lucky to have Kim Kardashian, especially at the business school, because she was there to talk about her shapewear company, Skims. Put a pause right there. What is a shapewear company? I don't know. With, I assume it's a clothing kind of company. Shapewear. That's very strange. Uh, they they uh, listened at this school to a two-hour lecture as part of a direct-to-consumer seminar. Uh, Kim Kardashian is a co-founder of this company, Skims. It's a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, It uh, launched a private equity firm called Sky Partners. Uh, uh, Skims recently doubled its valuation from 1.6 billion to 3.2 billion over a period of just nine months as investors rushed to acquire equity 
in that company. Then Kim goes on, launches this private equity company. I don't know. She's pretty impressive to me, at least by the standard of business school. I don't know that Kim Kardashian has read a lot of old poetry or Greek philosophy or anything like that, but the woman knows a thing or two about business. And there's a big difference between a liberal arts education, which is what a lot of people seek for an undergraduate education, and a business school education, or a law school education, or a medical school education. Those are, those are trades. That's vocational training to learn a job. So I agree, it, it would probably be inappropriate for Kim Kardashian, who is famous for, she's famous for showing off her body on camera, <laughs> and then having a reality TV show launched from that. It would be probably inappropriate for her to go lecture on Dostoevsky or something, on Aristotle at Harvard undergraduate. But in terms of business school, yeah, she's, she's one of the most successful businessmen in the country. And, and business school is largely a farce including Harvard Business School, including all the, all the really prominent business schools. The purpose of business school is not to really educate yourself all that much. It's mostly for networking. It can be a credential if you want to move up the management hierarchy. But if you want to be an entrepreneur and launch your own business, it's really the whole point of it is just networking. You don't, you don't need to actually do that much in terms of scholarly rigor to be in business school. And I, I just, I find it, I hate to take Kim Kardashian's side in almost any matter, but it, it's just so absurdly elitist. It's so baselessly elitist for anyone to suggest, oh, Kim Kardashian, she has no right to, to lecture at this school. What are you talking? Kim Kardashian is more successful than any of the people that she is lecturing will ever be in terms of business acumen and business success. I would be willing to bet a significant amount of money that not one person in that lecture hall will ever make more money or be more successful in business than Kim Kardashian. Business school, like so much of our higher education structure these days, is pretty much a joke. Actually, here's the proof. There's an amazing story just came out yesterday from Wharton School of Business. Wharton is arguably the best business school in the country. Harvard is also up there. But, but Wharton out of UPenn is one of the very top schools in the country. And chat GPT which is an AI program, uh, just did very well on some Wharton Business School exams. Uh, this is a mass market artificial intelligence chatbot. It was launched by OpenAI. I've played around on it. I'm sure a lot of other people have played around on this, on this software as well. Well, a research paper from Wharton, uh, from this professor Christian Turvich, said that ChatGBT earned a grade between a B and a B minus, on a final exam that is usually presented to MBA students. What does this mean? This, I mean, it's kind of funny, and maybe it shows you that business school isn't all that hard, and maybe it shows you that artificial intelligence is really impressive. The most important thing this tells you is that the, the current line about artificial intelligence is backwards. The current line about artificial intelligence is that AI is going to replace all those, those useless, low-skilled workers this is what you hear from, from people like Yuval Harari or some of the World Economic Forum types. They say, oh, you know, we're going to have all these useless people in the future because of automation. And so we'll just ply them with drugs and video games. And usually what they mean by useless people are the poor people, the uneducated people, the service worker type people. They're going to be replaced by automation. Chat GPT, Wharton Business School, is showing it's the opposite. The useless people are the white-collar workers in most cases. 
Not, not, not all of them, but a lot of them. ChatGPT shows, quote, a remarkable ability to automate some of the skills of highly compensated knowledge workers in general, and specifically the knowledge workers in the jobs held by MBA graduates. It does an amazing job at basic operations management and process analysis questions, including those that are based on case studies. Not only are the answers correct, but the explanations are excellent. Right. It's, it is true that at McDonald's now, sometimes there will be fewer workers because you can place your orders on machines, but you still have workers there. Okay. And McDonald's is one of the, the most automated of any restaurant chain. When you go out to a restaurant where you actually want a dining experience, that is always going to have people involved in it because people augment that experience. You want the waiter to come over in the nice coat with the tie and say, Mr. So-and-so, can I get you a drink? Oh, I recommend having the pasta with the steak. Or you want that human experience. That's, that's part of what makes going out to dinner special. You don't want Thelma to come over, Thelma the robot, to say, beep, boop, martini or Manhattan? Beep, beep, boop, you know, it just starts frying. And that's, that wouldn't be fun and special. You, you want that human contact. You are going to want, even as robots become more common in our homes, you're still going to want people with their judgment, with that human touch, with their artistic ability to go in and, and operate certain, certain aspects of the service economy. I'm not sure that you need any human beings to operate most of business and management and white collar jobs. The people who should be really afraid here are all those white collar laptop workers, all the ones who tell the, the poor Rust Belt Americans who, whose politicians betrayed them and who shipped their jobs overseas, the, the, the ones who say, well, just learn to code, keep up. Yeah, the ones who are going to need to learn to code are going to be largely white-collar workers, and they're never going to learn to code better than ChatGPT. So I don't know. Maybe it's time to learn to plumb. Time to learn to install electrical wires. Time to learn, time to learn a useful trade, I would suggest. Speaking of white-collar jobs... Yet another person has strongly intimated that she will throw her hat in the ring for the most prestigious white-collar job of all, President of the United States. That person would be Nikki Haley. Are you going to run for president? Well, I'm not going to make an announcement here, but when you're looking at a run for president, you look at two things. You first look at, does the current situation push for new leadership? The second question is, Am I that person that could be that new leader? Yes, we need to go in a new direction. And can I be that leader? Yes, I think I can be that leader. I was as governor. I took on a hurting state with double-digit unemployment, and we made it the beast of the Southeast. As ambassador, um, you know, I took on the world when they tried to disrespect us, and I think I showed what I'm capable of at the United Nations. So do I think I could be that leader? Yes, but we are still working through things, and we'll figure it out. I've never lost a race. I said that then. I still say that now. I'm not going to lose now, but stay tuned. It sounds like you're close. It sounds, are we getting to the exploratory committee stage here? I think stay tuned. (laughs) Okay, so yes is the answer. Barring some horrible polling that Nikki receives showing that she's at the complete bottom of the deck, uh, this is a woman who is planning to run for president in 2024. And there's, there's one thing holding it up or one, one thing complicating her announcement, which is that Nikki Haley has previously said that she would not run for president in 2024 if Trump runs. 
She said she wouldn't run if Trump runs, that she's behind Trump, she supports Trump. And this was complicated because she made those comments after she had uh, criticized Trump in the press and criticized Trump after January 6th and all the rest of it. And that's complicated because Nikki Haley made those criticisms after she had been a loyal Trump defender. She was one of the most prominent, loyal Trump officials during the administration. She was at the UN, which is a great job. She did a great job in the job, but it's a really great job if you want to raise your public profile because your whole job is to stand up against the worst people in the world every single day. And you hold your hand up and you say, I'm going to stick it to you, China or North Korea or wherever. So that was complicated. And then I was complicated because she had been somewhat critical of Trump before he became president. So there had been a kind of ambiguity to exactly which lane Nikki Haley was going to run in. There was a world in which Nikki Haley could have run in the Trump lane had Trump not run for president. Even though Nikki Haley is probably more moderate than Donald Trump, don't forget Donald Trump had a fairly moderate political record before he became president. So he moved a little bit, a lot more in the conservative direction as well. Nikki Haley had a relatively moderate Republican record as governor of South Carolina. Then she was more in the Trump direction. And now I think what this tells you, the fact that she is going full speed ahead, is that Nikki Haley is looking to run probably more in the moderate lane in 2024. Trump's got the Trump lane. DeSantis is running in the, really, I guess, to the right of Donald Trump, specifically to the right of Trump on COVID, specifically to the right of Donald Trump on the vaccines. Uh, and then roughly in the same place as Donald Trump on every other issue. And then you've got Nikki Haley, I think, staking out the moderate ground. And, you know, we all knock the moderates and, and regularly, you know, call for people to go further to the right uh, of Attila the Hun. But this is the Republican Party. There's a huge moderate faction of the Republican Party. And right now, Nikki Haley is the top candidate in that faction. I can't think of another person. I know that uh, John Kasich has suggested maybe he wants to run in that, or there, there have been Larry Hogan, who's a moderate governor of Maryland, thinks that he wants to run in that lane. And there are, there are some other people as well. But right now, I think Nikki Haley is probably the top, the top pick. What it also tells you is Nikki does not believe that Trump is going to clear the field. The, the argument for Trump even announcing as early as he did was that Trump's announcement would clear the field of candidates because Trump was, was so potent a force in the GOP. But his poll numbers, if you, one believes polls, have, have remained where they were or declined actually a little bit. And so the pr- political effect of that is it hasn't cleared the field. Ron DeSantis is, for all intents and purposes, running for president right now. There are other people waiting in the wings. Tim Scott has suggested he might run. Mike Pompeo suggested he might run. Uh, Mike Pence looks like he's going to run. Mike Pence also might try to run a little bit more in that moderate lane for president, but because of the way that his relationship ended with Trump, his political numbers are just not that great right now. So I think Nikki Haley thinks she could probably beat him in that lane. So all of which tells you that unless something dramatically changes for Trump, he might still get the nomination. He might still win the presidency. There is going to be a primary. Unless something radical changes today, there will be a primary. There's another, it's another really important caveat to all of this, or, or uh, additional detail rather, which is that another woman wants to run for president. That would be Governor Christy Nome in South Dakota. 
And I think all of us can agree as Americans that China shouldn't be buying up land in the United States, that they're our enemy, they're an evil government uh, built on communism and taking away freedom, and that that isn't something we should allow to have a presence here in our great country. This is an issue that came up, you know, months ago when we saw a land purchase in North Dakota, uh, our neighbors to the north, uh, that a Chinese uh, entity bought up land next to their Air Force base, um, saying they were going to build a corn plant, but there wasn't enough even corn grown in that area to sustain a facility like that, and it came under question. I think we all agree that that we shouldn't allow our enemies to have a presence, especially close to our national security infrastructure. We have Ellsworth Air Force Base, which is going to be the home of the B-21s. We want to make sure that those who have the chance to purchase our land here in our state love America and that they want to do good, not do us harm. So Christy Noem saying she wants to restrict land purchases by the Chinese. You might remember this story because Ron DeSantis announced that a week or two ago. What does this tell you? Christy Noem wants to run for president. I think she's made that perfectly clear over the last two years. And Christy Noem is going to run in the Ron DeSantis lane. So Ron DeSantis here leading among the governors. There's no question Ron DeSantis is the leader and everyone else is following suit. Uh, Christy Noem thinks she's going to take on that lane. Then you've got Nikki Haley and maybe Mike Pence and maybe Tim Scott running in the, the somewhat more moderate lane. And you've got Trump out here. They all think that Trump is relatively weak and can be beaten. But Trump is also running because Trump and Haley and DeSantis and Nome and Pence and everybody else, all these Republicans who want to run in 2024, they're looking up at the White House. They're looking at Biden and saying, this guy is weak. This guy can be beat. And I think we all agree with that. Jeremy's Razors. It's offering a great deal that ends very soon. 40% off all razors. Why the discount? I'm glad you asked. A year ago, when Joe Biden tried to force a vaccine mandate on private employers and some 85 million Americans, the Daily Wire told him where to stick it, okay? We sued the federal government. We won after a 6-3 ruling in our favor from the Supreme Court. The mandate was dead, dead, deader than disco. So on the first anniversary of this tremendous victory for all Americans, the Daily Wire CEO and God King Jeremy Boring has issued a special decree on the razors that bear his name. Right now, and only for a limited time, all Jeremy's razors are 40% off. That's right, 40, 40% off. That means you can get a kit with a Precision 5 razor and flip back trimmer, shave cream, post shave, bomb, extra blades, and a handy travel case for just $35.99. It's a savings of $24. Get 40% off Jeremy's razors before the deal ends by going to jeremysrazors.com. Also, the greatest interview show on the internet has turned into the greatest party game, and it's available for pre-order now. It's backed by popular demand after selling out for Christmas. The yes or no game is compelling, conspiratorial. Everything you need to have a good time. Deliberate the greatest ails of modern society, from feminism, seed oils, the new world order, to trans ideology, daytime TV, and the portal to hell in your pocket known as your cell phone. But it's not just a game. It's the ultimate test of your character. Do you really know your parents, your friends, your significant other are the people around you actually who they purport to be? The suspense is eating away at you already, isn't it? You need answers. So what are you waiting for? Secure your copy before it sells out again. It, it is going to sell out again. We, we sold through the first thousand boxes of this game instantly. And we don't, we, we have a few thousand, three or four thousand that we've ordered now. They, they are going to sell out. Uh, so head on over to dailywire.com slash shop to pre-order your copy. Yes or no? 600 have already, oh, wow, 600 have already been pre-ordered. I think we've done like one read for this. So go head over, pre-order it now. And now 
I'm going to take your calls on this show. Let's take it away with, who do we have? Let's take it away with Alex from Taiwan. Alex, you're on the air. Hello, Michael. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Alex, what time is it in Taiwan right now? It is 11 at 10 at night. I wow. stayed up for you last night, but you didn't want to take my call. Alex, thank you, you for staying up over in Taiwan. I appreciate it. That's, <laughs> maybe you've had a couple of Coca-Colas. Yeah, of maybe you're more relaxed. Maybe I should start doing my show at 11 o'clock central. I don't know. How can I help you? I won't mind. So it's more that I can help you. you. You mentioned last week that you are a huge Elvis Presley fan, and I just wanted to let you know one of the secrets of Israel. You're both a staunch Catholic, and you want to probably go to the Holy Land at some point or return there if you've already been. Yep. And so uh, the last time I went, I found out that there is an Elvis Presley cafe just west of Jerusalem. <laughs> Outside of it, the builder decided that a lot of kings had come through the city, but uh, the King of Rock had never got his chance. And so he created a giant golden statue of Elvis Presley. If you go inside of the cafe, you can pay about 35 shekels and they give you a mug with coffee in it. And you get to keep the mug. And on the mug is a picture of Elvis and a couple other things. And so I just want to let you know that the next time you go there, you can kill two birds with one stone. Alex, that is amazing. In in a city that is really for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a, uh, a in the Holy Land where many kings traveled from all over the world to see the King of Kings, it, it per- certainly makes sense that the King of Rock and Roll would join the Magi and so, so many other of the terrestrial royalty to uh, come on over <laughs> and visit the Holy Land. Thank you, yep. Alex. Thank you for that advice. I look forward to to visiting the Elvis Cafe next time. I hope it's not a kind of golden idol of Elvis. That would be unfortunate. But uh, it, as long as it's uh, merely an object of admiration or veneration rather than, than worship, I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Okay, <laughs> let's turn to Jake from South Florida. Jake, you're on the air. Hey, Michael. I had a question about marriage. So you often talk about how the left tries to redefine terms, uh, and specifically the word marriage. But I guess, uh, to, to me, it seems at least that the left successfully has redefined that word. And at what point do you accept the fact that it is um, no longer like, you know, a union between man and woman and the, co- and the common cultural under- understanding really is, you know, just what people do when they love each other and realize that you might be holding on to an old definition of marriage, much like someone might be saying, well, you know, in the 1940s, a computer was someone who did calculations. Yeah. And people might right. just say, well, that doesn't make sense anymore. The answer is you never accept the new definition of marriage. And you, you never accept it, not because, I don't know, not because you are an old fuddy-duddy or not because you're stuck in the past, or not because you hate gay people or anything. That's one of the most preposterous accusations that we get, especially that I get. You know, right. I'm from New York. I went to the gayest university in the United States, if not the world. I lived in Los Angeles, surrounded by a bunch of show business weirdos. A, a disproportionate number of my friends have had homosexual inclinations, okay? But no matter how much you love your gay cousin or, or whoever else in your life, you, you can never accept the new definition of marriage because marriage is not up for redefinition. Certain things can be up for redefinition. Things that are merely socially constructed. Uh, uh, Fashions. Fashion is a perfect example of this. Uh, Male fashion has changed dramatically over time. Uh, Several centuries ago, men wore frilly sorts of coats and high heels. Now men don't do that. Fashion has been redefined for men and for women. But the, the reality of men and women, the fundamental reality and the union between a man and a woman, 
that we call marriage cannot be redefined because marriage is not socially constructed, but rather is a natural institution. And the reason, reason that marriage is a natural institution is because, as Aristotle says, and as St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, kind of baptizing Aristotle or explicating Aristotle, points out, uh, man is a social being. Man is not, as the liberals would have us believe, man is not uh, just floating as an individual atom in space, completely undifferentiated, and, and uh, we're all just the same, and, and a, a woman is, is no different than a man, and a man no different than a woman. And, and No, that's not really how it is. Man is a social being. We find our identity in society with one another. And there is a distinction in human nature between men and women, because men and women are not indiscernible and indistinguishable, but are in fact complementary. And so because man is a social being, because we have a distinct sexual natures, and because man is a coupling being, man is naturally drawn to couple with a woman, physically and, and spiritually as well. And then the product of that union is a new human being. So so uh, fundamental is that to human nature, then you simply cannot redefine marriage. We can pretend all we want all day, but but that's not going to do anything. Uh, even you know, even if we remain confused for decades, even if we remain confused in certain countries for a century or two, marriage will endure because it is it is uh, part of natural law and it's part of man man's very nature. In his, in his own desire and self-understanding. Okay, before we go, let's take another question on, uh, from Anthony in Alabama. Anthony, uh, you are on the air from the state that, that houses my absolute favorite city in America. What, what, state, what, what city is that? Well, that would be Mobile, Alabama. I don't, I've just always loved Mobile. I tell sweet little Elisa that we're going to retire there someday. She's never been, but it's just a very charming city. So, Anthony, what's on your mind? It'd be great to have you, Michael. Okay. Um, I've been a fan for about two years. I want to first thank you for your Catholic faith and conservative ideas that have shaped me. Um, I'm going to the University of Alabama next year. I'm interested in politics and possibly going to get a degree in philosophy. Uh, thanks to you um, encouraging that. Um, and maybe a law degree, depending on how things go. Other than starting my club named Cigars and Politics, what should I involve myself in to uh, kind of dabble in to see what I should maybe you know, do in life, I guess, is what I'm saying. I love that club. I, too, started a cigar club in college. It was called the Society for Intellectual Growth and Reinvigoration, or CIGAR, and it was just a front to get the school to pay for my cigar habit for me and, and my buddies. So that's great. I think that will be very edifying for you. And, and I think it will be not only because cigars are tasty and it's kind of a fun thing to do, and as far as vices go, I think it's, you know, relatively quite innocent, but also because one of the best things you can do in college is stay up late, uh, hopefully not over too many drinks, you know, over an okay number of drinks, but you don't want to be completely out of your mind because you stay up late over cigars, which sharpen your mind because of the nicotine and uh, because of the relaxation that comes from that. And you just debate all sorts of matters with your friends. And that, that's going to provide you, at least in my experience, it did uh, provide you a, as good an education, probably a much better education than what you're going to get in the classrooms. What else can you involve yourself in? I would recommend if you if you want to maintain a tie to the school, uh, whether for networking or friendship or both, uh, you should involve yourself in one somewhat established institution. I did that. I'm a member of a, one of the conservative debating societies uh, from my college. And, and it was just a, it's just a wonderful group. And it's, it's really my main tie left to the, the university. 
Um, so that, that's a great thing to do. And then in terms of setting yourself up for a job, again, don't forget, you're not at the school. You're studying philosophy, so you could go to law school later. That's a trade school. You go to business school later. That's a trade school. Get on the job training. Okay, good. You're learning your trade. But you're, you're studying in college to cultivate your soul and to, to, uh, to not study something that is going to directly get you a job. So you got to take care of the job stuff separately. For me, if you want to go into politics, for me, the best training I got was working on a political campaign between my sophomore and junior year, and then into my junior year. That was a very, very uh, effective training ground for what I now work in, which is politics and, and political media even specifically. Uh, so I would do that. You, you do that through your internships. You do that even maybe off campus a little bit. That can distinguish you to employers. That'll give you that training that will then complement the intellectual and spiritual work that you've done in your liberal education. Thank you for calling in. We are going to take one or two more callers over in the member block, but we got to go to the member block. Okay, the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. We'll see you in the member block.